to The Renewable Generation, a show on climate and energy issues by young people, for all people. My name is Evan, and joining me today are both Steve and Kelly. <laughs> Steve and Kelly. Yay! Steve, how are you doing today? <laughs> it's good. It's good to be back. Um, it's been a while since, we, since we've since we all convened, and I'm sorry about that, our fans, to, to, our, to our lovely, beautiful fans and audience. Sorry, it's been so long. We missed you. Yeah, I um, I, we actually uh, we got we got a head start on the podcast earlier today uh, because one of our members was running a little late. Uh, Kelly, you want to you want to talk a little bit more about w- where you were running? Yeah, I was running on Squawk Mountain, which is um, super close to where I live here in Issaquah. So it was very nice, actually. The drive from my house to the start line was like. 12 minutes and then I talked to some guy who was like I had to leave my house at 5 30 this morning I was like uh I woke up at six like I'm sorry man but yeah it was a very long run and then after that I had to go get a planter box um from someone in Tacoma so I was just all over the place doing a bunch of things but I'm here now ready to talk about bitcoin we are here. Uh, we would, uh, bouncing off of Steve's point, uh, we'd like to say that we do want to record more episodes for this podcast. We do really like to do it. But our best episodes are when we're all having a good time and we have a good topic to talk to you guys about. And fortunately, that's today. But before we get into that topic, I think Steve has something to say about a future topic. I do, yeah. And it's kind of in line with that. So we, you know, we, we don't put out episodes as much as, as we'd like to anymore. And, and that's mainly just because uh, we, we, we're, we're human beings and we burn out <laughs> and things are going on in our lives. Um, and with that, with that being said, we, we are actually going to be talking about cryptocurrency, blockchain, and, and these environmental impacts. But this past week also, there was a huge, huge, huge event that we haven't had the time to to really dive into and to be able to do it justice, and that's and that's Biden's uh, leader summit on climate, in which he invited uh, forty world leaders from all over the world, and had a virtual conference for two days on Earth Day, the thir- Thursday and, and Friday as well. So that we're gonna be doing that it's a different episode. It's it's there's a lot to talk about, a lot of great action happening actually, including Biden's pledge to get the U.S. to 50% carbon emissions, or 50% carbon free by 2030, which is in line with Paris uh, Climate Accords. So that's a huge victory if, if, you can hold, if you can hold true to that. So, uh, you know, look forward to that in the future. So this would be 50% um, reduction in uh, carbon emissions relative to a 20... 2002, I believe. 2002, okay. Across the whole economy, not just electricity. So that's huge. And yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to see what specific policies um, need to be enacted to get there. I know that there is a report out recently by Energy Innovation that said there's actually not that many policies needed to get there. And um, we can definitely dive into that report as well in a future episode. But for now, we're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about cryptos. We're talking about blockchain. But before we talk about that, I'm going to intro it like I always do. So uh, I had a thought the other day. Uh, that I often do, which is that I've really such a small understanding of how the things that are omnipresent in our everyday lives function. Um, And related to that, today we're going to be talking about cryptocurrencies, we're going to be talking about NFTs, and we're going to be talking about the blockchain. And if you've been around anyone with an overactive presence on Reddit during the past five to ten years, you've probably heard a lot of misinformed opinions about these subjects. 
Cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin and uh, Ether have become the new frontier for tech bro discourse. And while there are some with a solid understanding of how they work, there are many more like me who have absolutely no clue, but still kind of want to be included in this like new popular discourse. And that's when you see the trendy reflex opinions come out, particularly regarding the economic, cultural, and environmental merit of these things. Uh, later on in this episode, we are going to be taking a deeper look into these topics, but first, let's get a better understanding of how we arrived at Bitcoin by looking back on the history of money. Steve, you want to take us through the history of money? Yes, I'd love to. So let's, talk, let's start with a question. What is money? Right. So in the very beginning, and I'm talking about ancestral times in our, in our great, great, great ancestors, everyone is every man for himself. You, you were a hunter-gatherer, you lived in a, in a tribe, in a community, and you grew your own food, you hunted for your own food, and you survived based off of, you know, if you were able enough to survive. At some point, we started to develop into an agricultural society in which we, we grew a lot more than we, than we hunted and gathered, and we started bartering with each other. So, so if, you know, there was a farmer who had a bunch of apples that they grew, and they could trade it with, like, the the leather guy and get a bunch of shoes. But what happens if the leather guy had just picked up a bunch of apples the day before, you know, and you know, what, what, you're going to need 10 apples today. You're going to need 20 apples the next day. You need 50 apples the next day. It, it wasn't very, uh, it wasn't a good system. So eventually human beings started to develop little primitive forms of, of money and, and currency essentially, which was actually began with wheat because wheat was something that was universally used. Anyone could use wheat, everyone has to eat, so they would trade wheat. The problem with wheat, though, is that it's hard to lug around. So if you need to buy a lot of something, you would have to you know, buy an ox cart and transport bales and bales and bales of wheat. So it started to not become very efficient. People started to use you know, shells, um, people started to use commodities at some point. Once um, emperors started to conquer a lot more, they started to use gold and silver. And then they would mint it with a, a picture of their face. Like they would stamp it saying that, you know, the emperor, Augustus, whatever, you know, by my, by my divine right, this is considered one pound or one pence or whatever, you know? So this was when started, when money started to say money has value because I say it does. Whereas, whereas wheat was kind of intrinsic and things were intrinsically valuable, money started to say oh, it, this gold coin is valuable because the emperor says it's valuable. And that's called fiat currency. So fiat basically means it's like let there be money, essentially. So like fiat currency would be like let there be currency. And so it's just um, because we agree that it has value, it has value. So some people refer to this as a consensual hallucination, <laughs> um, like Santa Claus. Yeah. And there's, a, and there's a great book by, um, uh, I'm going to butcher the author's name, but it's, it's called Sapiens that goes into all of this. Um, and yeah, it's, it's yeah collective hallucination that we've all agreed upon. Um, but then after, you know, at some point, now we're kind of more in the modern era where we have gold and silver coins, we started transitioning to paper money. Um, or, you know, actually, this was actually back in the, in the Chinese empires, actually, when, when it began. This is like BC still, so relatively uh, modern. And paper money started to become a thing, which was a lot more uh, convenient, right? You could carry a bunch of bills in your pocket, in your coat, and you could say, oh, I have $1,000. 
whereas before you'd have to like truck bales and bales and bales of of wheat. Um, but again, this was just money. It had value because we all collectively agreed that it had mon- it had value. Um, and now fast forward to the modern era um, where we still have paper money. We still have like dollar bills, but the vast majority of money now is tracked virtually. It's tracked by banks. It's tracked by quote unquote credit, which is also made up. Um, but, but essentially it's like, it's a, it's a, it's a decimal point in your bank account. You know, you pull up, you pull up your, your phone app, you go to the teller, you, you withdraw money from an ATM. All of it is for the most part tracked virtually. We're off of the gold standard in the U S um, and now the U S is the global standard because we say so again, it's, it's really the U S dollar is, is the, is a standard for the entire world because of the power of our military, because of the, 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 the strong arming of our financial systems and the fed. And this is all considered, quote-unquote, credit worthiness. Um, and now, in 2021, or just about now, we're at the next iteration, the next step in this evolution of money, um, which is cryptocurrency. So what exactly is cryptocurrency? Um, really, you have to start to dive into this topic of blockchain. So what is blockchain? Well, I would take issue, first of all, with the idea that cryptocurrency is actually money because I don't really hear about people buying stuff with Bitcoin. I think to me, it's similar to gold in that it's something that people, the mentality that people have when they buy is like, oh, this is something that's like always going to hold value forever. It's not like, you know, the um, consensual hallucination US government fiat money. It inherently has value because of the way that it's coded up in software. And in the same way that no one actually uses gold bars to like buy stuff, no one's really using um, Bitcoin as a as a currency, and um, except for on the dark web. So, I, I, I would. I mean, you're right that like people at a large scale don't use cryptocurrencies, but it's different than because there are people that are accepting Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as a valid currency. Like Elon Musk just came out and or he came out a while ago and said that Tesla uh, would accept cryptocurrencies uh, as valid currency. So there are people that are accepting it as a currency. I think it just hasn't hit that social like wave of oh this is a valid currency. And that's why I think Steve's saying it is going to be the currency of the future because once people start accepting it then it it will be a more widely used currency. I mean, <clears throat> I guess maybe, maybe this is a bit too off topic for this podcast, but like the way that Bitcoin works, specifically Bitcoin, is that the amount of Bitcoins that are created is going to be limited. There's like a hard cap on the number of Bitcoin that are going to be created in the world. And so that inherently means that Bitcoin is deflationary. So the value of a Bitcoin is going to go up over time. Um, and so for the most part, it's better to hodl than to spend. And that, that's true with Bitcoin, but that's not true with other cryptocurrencies like Ether. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think it's actually called Ethereum, and Ether is just the uh, shorthand. Sorry for using slang on the podcast. How dare you? <laughs> well, yeah, um, that is a good point, Kelly. You know, the idea that no one really uses it transactionally yet. Um, but yeah, I think exactly as you pointed out, the dark web you know, in the beginnings of cryptocurrency, it was used to, you know, buy and sell drugs and buy and sell illegal substances in, in you know, illicit goods and services, which, you know, doesn't do great for its reputation, but it just, it does go to the fact that it can be used as currencies 
Um, although, you know, as you say, right now it's more of a commodity. Um, and I should say that I own cryptocurrency myself. So, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I have a partial uh, financial incentive, you know, to talk one way or the other, just saying it for the audience. Steve, I feel like you own a lot of uh, meme financial instruments. You also had game stonks. <laughs> stonks only go up, Kelly. Don't you know that by now? All right. So essentially for, this is a blockchain 101 for, for all of our listeners who haven't quite understood this yet. Blockchains is really the infrastructure for which cryptocurrency uh, operates on. So blockchain, um, the, the big advantage of cryptocurrencies over paper fiat or the US dollar, let's say, is that cryptocurrencies are inherently unimpeachable. What I mean by that is that the US dollar, there, there exists this entire industry of third party auditing and you know, validation services. So, you know, any, any company, any individual can have a, a private ledger for themselves, but at some point you need to be audited maybe by the IRS, maybe by, you know, you, you know, when you file your taxes and you have to make sure that you're not, everyone has to make sure that you're not lying, that you're not committing, um, you're not, you're not embezzling, you're not committing fraud. But with Bitcoin and with cryptocurrencies, that's actually impossible because they use what's called a public ledger. They use, they have an unchanged, un- unchangeable record of transactions that is democratized, that everyone has access to. And it actually, and a lot of the the proponents of cryptocurrency say that this is going to democratize economic opportunities for the entire world, especially for communities that have been historically left out of financial markets, opportunities, and, and lending programs, because now we don't need any auditors to make sure that they're, you know, being on the up and up. So, so blockchain works off of these interconnected blocks, and it runs these very very computationally heavy algorithms. And essentially, they're just trying to solve a mathematical equation. And it requires a tremendous amount of computer power to, to solve these. Um, and every time that, that a uh, computer solves one of these very difficult math problems, they get awarded a Bitcoin. And that's the entire essence of Bitcoin. That's an oversimplification. They don't, they don't get awarded one Bitcoin. And basically, um, so the way that the um, computation, the rate at which Bitcoin is released into the world is constant. So it's like every 30 minutes, a block of Bitcoins is released. I think originally it was 50. Now it's 25. And basically, you're incentivized to mine Bitcoin if the cost of the electricity that you're using is less than the cost of the Bitcoin that you can mine. So when the price of Bitcoin is higher, actually the energy consumption of Bitcoin goes up because you can be, you can buy a lot more servers to get the same amount of Bitcoin and still be making money because the Bitcoin is worth more. And there's also all these specialized computers, um, GPUs, graphic processing units that are like specifically optimized to solve these Bitcoin um, equations. And so it's kind of like an arms race among these miners to try to get as much of that as possible. And so this is what's called a proof of work. Um, is, is this something that we're diving into in this part of the podcast or is it after the break? In a second. I, I think we'll dive into it in part two. But I actually, I did kind of have something to interject about uh, democratizing economic opportunities through uh, cryptocurrencies and through blockchain. Because, I mean, I know like it, it does sound good. It sounds like it's going to make uh, the opportunity a little bit more democratized but at the same time like i feel like we hear this with a lot of different tech outfits and it ends up not being the case and i also think when we're talking about proof of work or proof of stake as we're going to get into in the next uh uh section of the podcast it 
um, people with money and people with a lot of computers or powerful computers have a head start when it comes to these cryptocurrencies and earning money off of them. So, I, I mean, do, do you have a take on if it actually is going to be as democratized as they claim to be? I'm highly skeptical. I think relying on technology... Okay, basically, <clears throat> any technology that claims to democratize things, is that's... Just, like wish I think for the most part it's wishful thinking because technology doesn't exist independently of society. So like people thought the internet was going to democratize everything and instead there's like four companies that are making most making most of the money from the ad revenue. So I think to some okay to some extent the internet has democratized access to information but <clears throat> income inequality has only increased since the internet has been invented. And people also thought that maybe microfinance would also um, uh, democratize uh, access to capital for all, but that's just such a drop in the bucket compared to, um, say, um, institutions like... Uh, anyway, we're, get, we're getting off topic here, but basically the point is that I think we would... I don't think that uh, cryptocurrency inherently is going to lead to democratization of... Um, financial access or anything, it could, but would require a lot of support from um, policy and institutions to do so. Okay. And lastly, into NFTs, just to cover, just to cover our bases here. NFTs are the latest um, iteration in this blockchain saga that we're in. And NFTs stand for non-fungible tokens. Evan, I think you actually have maybe a better t understanding on this than any of us, as you're kind of more of a artist content creator than we are so what do you what do you know about nfts um i mean it's i steve took uh he, he took offense to my wording of this but i think there's a debate on whether or not nfts are a good or a bad thing in the arts community i think there's been a lot of pushback against nfts um regarding whether or not they are a valid form of art uh, so, some people are comparing it to actual uh, tangible pieces of art, like the Mona... Hey, what are they? We haven't even said what they oh, are. Yeah, a non-fungible non token is what NFT stands for. It's basically, it's assigning value to something on the internet that's uh, intangible by claiming it to be the, like, the sole version, like the sole valid version of it. Um, and it, it's, it's like a, when, when you go to an art auction and you bid money on, uh, hypothetically, the Mona Lisa. You're, you're bidding money on the original, the valid form of the Mona Lisa. You're not bidding money on a copy of it. That's essentially the idea behind NFTs. It's taking things on the internet and making them that one true valid form of that thing. Um, there, there's a little bit of backlash uh, on NFTs regarding the environmental impact that they have, which we'll talk about in the next section. Uh, there's also backlash whether or not they are true valid forms of art because a lot of people, a lot of people in my world, say that because there's not the history, the rich history, there's not the uh, the artist touch behind the thing, uh, that it cannot truly be as a valid a form of art as something like a painting or like a sculpture. Um, I personally, I think that's a little bit pretentious. I think there's a lot of good economically the nfts can do especially for uh smaller artists i mean there's a huge problem with streaming right now in the music world and i think nfts could have a really profound effect on artists in that world uh kings of leon already came out and released one of their albums as an nft and they released other 
things as an NFT. And I think we should be se- bad album, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> throw, throw that out there. And I do think we should be celebrating any any movement towards uh, helping uh, smaller artists monetize their uh, their work because uh, I think in in an age where it's getting tougher and tougher to do so um, any movement towards being able to do so is a good thing this episode of the renewable generation is brought to you by podcoin a cryptocurrency made by podcasters for everyone Have you ever been sat listening to the soft, placid tones of your favorite podcaster and thought, gee, I wish I could invest in this? Well, now you can. With an initial trading value of just 1 87th of a recently minted penny, PodCoin is the perfect investment to throw money that you may otherwise have used to donate to a worthy cause into. Better yet, use our promo code GENRENEW for one free coin. That's code GENRENEW for one free PodCoin. Thank you, PodCoin, for sponsoring this episode of The Renewable Generation. All right, well, in the first half of the podcast, we talked a little bit about the history of money and how blockchain, cryptocurrencies, and non-fungible tokens basically work. The next half of the podcast, we're going to take a a little darker, more critical look at these things uh, by looking at the environmental impact that they currently have. Um, Steve, do you want to start us out here? Sure. So about three-fourths of all Bitcoin is mined in China. And this is largely because of socio-political geopolitics here, because China, as you know, is the second economic power in the world, and they're trying to surpass the U.S. in any way that they they can. So the U.S. dollar, as we said at the beginning of the show, is the global standard, but cryptocurrencies, maybe they will be the global standard going forward. You know, time will tell, but China is betting pretty hard on that. Um, they are trying to be the asset owners of the future uh, and the financial overlords of the future. So, so China mainly is, being, is powering their Bitcoin mining um, through coal and overbuilt, overbuilding hydropower. Um, and, and coal right now, um, just historically, is, is some of the cheapest energy out there. Um, and overbuilt hydropower, once it's been built, hydropower is like some of the, is like pretty much free energy at that point. Um, and... Just to give you an idea of, of uh, you know, that, that environmental impact, um, one Bitcoin transaction is the energy consumption of 31 U.S. households. Um, so this, this... 31 U.S. households for how long? That's a great question. As I read that, I was like, damn, I have no time. I have no time on that. Um, I don't know. In a year, I assume. <laughs> I've heard a lot of crazy connect. Like a lot of people have been using uh, comparisons between like the consumption of like Libya, like the entire country of Libya, compared to the cost of upholding Ethereum. I've just heard a lot of crazy comparisons. So all you need to know, I guess, is that it's a lot. Yeah, and I would say with Bitcoin, also, I think the energy consumption would be the same regardless of how many transactions are happening, right? Because you're just you're just having the people mining Bitcoins and validating transactions, and then the more people that are mining, the more computationally intensive and difficult the problems get. So I, I don't think it's really accurate to say, like, each um, transaction uses this much energy. It's And the other thing is that there's not actually that many transactions happening in Bitcoin, um, but the, suffice to say that Bitcoin in and of itself uses 
a lot right. of energy. And it's an, it's an astronomical amount of computation. So if you, if you just to put it into perspective, um, the, the units that these Bitcoin miners use is like Terra hashes. Terra is 10 to the 9? So yeah, trillion hashes per second. It's 10 to the 12. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. True. So 10 to the 12 um, computations per second. Um, and that's like the units that people use. So 10 to the 12 is, is along the same order of magnitude as the number of galaxies in the observable universe. Uh, Kelly, you want to fact check me on that? I, I heard that somewhere recently, but... Um, well, okay, just think about it. We're ta- For trillions, the other thing that we've been talking about trillions is um, the amount of money that we're spending on COVID relief. <laughs> so imagine for every dollar of stimmies that's out there, there's one... <laughs> yeah, no, I was right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's how many galaxies... Actually, that's actually more than the number of galaxies in the observable universe because there's only like 100 to 200 billion galaxies in the observable universe. So we're talking about the, that scale of the universe is like that's how small we are in terms of, of each one of these, of these like energy computations. So we're talking like a lot of energy. Um, Didn't expect to have an existential crisis in the middle of this podcast. <laughs> always can ex- should always expect that on these. Um, yeah. So, so what are the solutions to this, right? Like, how how can we get around this? Um, as 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 we've talked about, um, all of all of the gains. We haven't said this yet, but here's another one for you. All of the gains that we've made from green energy and sustainable energy historically have now been wiped out by cryptocurrency because there's such been such a demand growth just to, due to these technologies. So. What the hell can we do about this? Kelly, what do you think? Um, well, one thing um, is that the way that uh, a lot of cryptocurrencies work now is called proof of work, where you basically have to like prove that you're doing work, a.k.a. making solving a lot of really complicated math problems, and that's what makes you more likely to um, basically get the Bitcoins that are mined. Um, there's something that's emerging called proof of stake. I'm not a hundred percent clear on how it works, but it's basically like you put, you have a stake of bitcoins, or not bitcoins, because big. I think the way that Bitcoin works is probably fixed. But you put up, you say like, oh, I have a stake of like X amount of coins, and then that like relative to the amount of coins that you stake, that's the amount of coins that you can mine. So I think one of the big criticisms of this is that it actually is like very unequal because if you already have a lot of coins and you can stake more coins and make more coins. Um, So I'm not totally sure how this would work, but because you're not like literally the way that Bitcoin works is that if more people are mining, then more people are just mining. Like they have to be able to accept all of those. um, They just make the math problems harder so that everyone's computers are working. Whereas with proof of stake, that's not the case. And so the environmental impact from switching to that, it would just drastically reduce the impact of um, mining for, let's say, Ethereum right. coins. And here's another uh, spicy take of, of the episode, which is um, this is a white paper that was put out by Square and ARK Innovation Fund um, just this past week. And they say in this white paper that cryptocurrency will be key in renewable energy development, which is an extremely spicy take. That is so contra um, intuitive, you know, counterintuitive. So their argument is that so the, the biggest 
problems and the biggest weaknesses of renewable energy is the intermittency. You cannot control when the sun shines. You cannot control when the wind blows. Um, and the, and also, because of this, um, for example, we have this issue where electricity becomes extremely cheap sometimes when we have an overabundance of sun, an overabundance of wind, and we don't have anyone to use that energy. And then when the sun goes down, the wind goes down, it, all of a sudden we have no energy when we really need it. Um, and these are, these are problems that the grid faces. So what these, these, uh, these companies, Square and Arc Innovation Fund, what they propose is that all, all cryptocurrency mining servers or farms should use exclusively renewable energy um, because it's actually clean energy is actually the cheapest energy on a, on a levelized cost of energy basis. It's, a cle- it's the cheapest out there. So they should just use exclusively solar and wind whenever the sun's shining, whenever the wind's blowing, and nothing else. And so, th- on, so for, the, for these miners, they get the benefit of the cheapest electricity out there. And for the renewable energy developers, we get the benefit of having a customer always. We always know we have a customer who will buy our energy. It's kind of like a base load customer who will always be demanding our, our electricity. So this is actually the, the problem with renewable energy that we just described is trying to be solved with batteries, right? We've all heard about this. Batteries can essentially shift um, the load whenever it's needed. But the problem is it's still expensive. It's not really penetrated the market all that much. It's, it's getting there, but we're slow moving and, and we really need to get this going faster, right? So... Yeah, that's that's their argument is that it can it can provide essentially a battery for all for all <laughs> solar and wind always. Kelly, what what are the, what are the problems with this argument? Okay. So I read another similar paper as well called Bitcoin as battery and they were like, okay, like you know, one of the biggest issues with um solar and wind deployment is that there's no transmission there's a uh issue with building out transmission lines. And so while they're waiting for the transmission line to be built out, you could just build this wind farm and then have a Bitcoin mining facility right there and use that. And it would, be, it would generate a source of revenue. But actually, if you think about it, because the amount of Bitcoin that's released into the world is fixed, you're not actually creating anything. You're just consuming more energy. And even like there is some embedded cost in the manufacturing of these wind turbines. So if you're not using them for other el- electric or electricity use that's actually useful, then you're just, I mean, it's not carbon neutral because the manufacture of wind turbines and solar panels is not carbon neutral. So to the point about using it as a battery, the idea of a battery is you put in energy and then you can get back energy out sometime later. Please tell me how you can convert Bitcoin back into energy. That just like completely makes no sense, right? And like... I guess if you are running a Bitcoin server, it does make sense to like, yeah, if there's extra solar in the middle of the day in California, that's that's causing the prices to go negative. Yeah, you should totally use that. But saying that that's going to solve climate change is like you really well, need well, they're to. Not saying, they're not saying it's going to solve climate change. They're just saying. OK. They're just saying that it's key to renewable energy development. Which actually technically is true. Yeah, you could develop more renewable energy and inc- oh, it's like. Ah, okay, because, like, I'm, I'm going to straw man this argument, but it's like, <laughs> we need to get to 50% renewable, right? Assuming we're at 0% renewable, if we just double, if we duplicate all the electricity consumption that exists right now, we make that a Bitcoin server and then supply that with renewable energy, we are now 50% renewable. But you didn't do anything to decarbonize the rest of the system. Yep. And that's like the problem is that we need to be decarbonizing what already exists and 
building more Bitcoin servers doesn't do anything to do that. Right. It's kind of, yeah, another way I, I've, I've heard it described is like, oh, I'm going to go outside and trash my neighborhood because then I'm going to really incentivize cleaning my neighborhood. It's like, it's like that's, that's kind of, you're adding to the problem only to say you're going to solve the problem, you know, by, yeah, essentially it just adds more load. And we're already having enough trouble, you know, servicing all the load with clean energy sources out there. I, but, you know, I, I'm actually kind of, I'm, to, be, to, be, to be honest, I'm intrigued by this argument because I do think that there is a, there is a bottleneck regarding this, this, this intermittency problem, this, this duck curve problem, but it's not the biggest problem. It's not like the biggest bottleneck is, you know, these, these issues. We're going to deal with this. Um, I was really, I think at the end of the day, from my perspective, I just say, okay, cryptocurrency and mining, it's not going away. Like no matter how I feel about it, no matter how it cares, how I care about the environment, it's not going away. So I'm just going to ride the wave. In my opinion, like I'm, if they're going to say this, if they're going to white paper, you know, square and arc innovation fund, if that's what they're going to say, I think it's kind of a fallacy, but as a developer of solar you know, solar energy, I'll, I'll, I'll ride that train. <laughs> well, one thing that I would add is that people don't realize that the most environmentally friendly megawatt of energy is the one you never use. It's called megawatts. And so, and so like if, if we're really <laughs> Evan's face right now, Hey, that's like a real phrase. Okay. It's not a pun that I came up with. So I think if we're really talking about like decarbonizing, we should think about like switching to something that doesn't actually need to use that many GPUs that are very, you know, carbon in, uh, or not carbon intensive per se, but like elect, uh, electricity uh, intensive. Um, making things more um, energy efficient is should be the first thing that we do rather than being like, yeah, we should just build a bunch more server farms because and then run them on wind. It's tough because I, I view these things. There's also the argument about okay, there's, there's all these carbon emissions due to cryptocurrencies, right? And then people blame that. But then proponents of cryptocurrency always say, okay, what are all the imbe embedded and baked in carbon emissions of the existing financial system? All the, the entire financial system that exists, right? And then they're saying, if we were really to do an apples to apples comparison, which is probably impossible to do, but if you were to do that, they say that, oh, cryptocurrency is, is, a, is a lower carbon footprint, but, you know, that's kind of, in a way, it's kind of a political argument because you can never make that, that comparison. Yeah, and also, like, what vol what is, I guess, maybe not GDP would be the right word, but, like, what is the GDP of the existing financial system versus Bitcoin? Like, if you're talking about, like, energy consumption per, like, value that's out there, I, I mean, I don't know what the numbers are, but I would bet money or cryptocurrency on the fact that cryptocurrency is a lot more um, energy intensive. Yeah, it's also like I, I view it also as um, what, the, the pros and cons as always, right? So um, cryptocurrency, as we mentioned in the beginning, has these potential benefits. It has these potential benefits that haven't been seen yet about democratizing access to capital, democratizing you know financial institutions, um, which is a pro um, if it happens. And then there's the cons that we clearly see. I, th I think the truth as it always is, is somewhere in the middle. Like, uh, we don't have all the information. I'm definitely not an expert. Um, I'm not ready, personally, to write off cryptocurrencies as this doomsday or this just purely 
you know, fintech bro space, even though that's how it's dominated right now. I'm not ready to write it off yet. I, I think it's still in its infancy and it, it, there's a lot, there's a lot to see how it develops. Um, yeah. I mean, from my perspective, I think, I think cryptocurrency is here to stay as well. I think it's going to become an increasingly big player. Like when you see people who are not even tech bros talking about Bitcoin and buying Bitcoin, like there's some woman that I follow on Instagram. Her, she's like a professional runner and she was reading some, she's like, I'm reading about how like I should be investing in Bitcoin. I was like, oh, this is mainstream now. So I, I think it's definitely getting into the mainstream, but in terms of like what impact it'll actually have, that remains to be seen. And also blockchain, um, the distributed ledger, I think that has applications well beyond just cryptocurrency. And that's, it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out as well. I think for the most part, like none of the use cases that I've seen so far for blockchain, it's like, why do you need the distributed ledger? Um, versus just having like a centralized database like everything else is. So I don't think that use case has quite been figured out, um, but it's really interesting. I actually have a friend um, who works on the stuff um, for the Ethereum Foundation, so maybe we should have him, him on because he's a real expert. Well, I think now it's time for the segment that was recently reintroduced on Earth Day. It's the Green News Spiel. Steve, why don't you start us out here? I would love to. So my green news spiel this week is regarding my home state of California, which still has my heart. Oh, California. I miss it. I miss it so much. Anyways, California is, um, as we just know, as we know, um, Earth Day just passed. California issued um, a statement stating that it is now the first state in the United States to declare an end to the oil extraction. Um, Wow, that was a terrible uh, delivery, but you get the idea. Um, They are going to phase out all new oil drilling by 2045, um, and they're going to ban fracking by 2024. Um, and, you know, people, people have um, criticized that 2045 is pretty far out there, um, which is true, I think. Um, California is the number seven oil producer in the United States, but um, despite the actual technical ramifications of this, I think that this still is a big effing deal. Um, mainly for political and signaling reasons, not, not so much the emissions um, on its own objective self. Um, they're going to be the first state to come out and give a hard deadline. Um, and we've known for a while now that oil will not last forever, um, even without climate change, even just talking about it purely oil on its own, there's a f- finite amount of it. Yeah, it's called peak oil. So we know that this is going to hap- have to happen at some point in the future, and we're just arguing about whether it'll happen sooner or rather or later. And, you know, we argue it should happen sooner. Why, why are we, why are we going to run the risk of climate change? Um, so I think that California can actually show the world what a just, just transition really looks like. We talk a lot about that in this movement, about how to transition away from this economy. Um, and California has essentially put a, a flag in the ground and said, we need to do it by this time, timeline. Um, so it, it's time to, you know, walk the walk in a way. Um, Thank you, Steve, for your green news spiel. Kelly, let's hear from you and your green new spiel. Yeah, so this speaking of a just transition, the uh, the nation's largest coal union just backed um, Biden's green energy plan in exchange for job retraining programs in Appalachia. So he's they basically were like, yeah, change is coming whether we like it or not. I mean, 
actually coal jobs have been on the decline for a long time because especially since they switched from um, strip mining like underground mining to mountaintop removal mining which is a lot less labor intensive like the amount of jobs in the industry is going down coal power is on terminal decline so no one's using the coal and i think people realize at this point that coal isn't coming back and they need to find something else to do and so retraining coal workers to work in renewable energy is a really good option and um Interestingly, I think this is pretty in line with the principles of the Green New Deal, like the just transition, job training, good paying jobs. But because that's such a polarized term now, the politicians in those states are not using that terminology, but they're talking about infrastructure, local jobs, hard work and stuff like that, which I think is great. I think building these kinds of perhaps unlikely coalitions with groups that might not necessarily be traditional environmentalist groups, um, but are getting on board with clean energy. I think that's what we need more of going forward. All right. Well, thank you, Stephen Kelly, for your Green News spiel. And with that, we wrap up the segment and we wrap up the show. Thanks, as always, for listening to The Renewable Generation. As always, you can find us on Twitter, at GenRenewPod, on Facebook, The Renewable Generation, or our humble Instagram accounts, at KellyMJang, at... Are you, what are you, climate Steve now? Climate underscore Steve. <laughs> climate underscore Steve. I was about to say sustainably Steve. And at Honeycombs Jr., we do really appreciate the Facebook messages we've gotten recently. Um, we know we've been a little uh, off schedule with the podcast recently, but we're hoping to at least deliver some some good episodes in the, in the near future. Um, and we hope that you guys are willing to listen to good content whenever it comes out. Yeah, and you know what? Keep reaching out to us. You know, let us know what you want to hear. Is there some topic you disagree with something we said? Do you agree? Um, and if, if you like the show, you know, tell a friend. New podcasts on Wednesdays. This Wednesday? Next Wednesday? <laughs> First Wednesday of next month? Who knows? But they're going to be on Wednesdays, so stay tuned. Stay tuned.